Welcome to Sure Foundation Lutheran Church's podcast channel. If you'd like more content like this, visit us on our website at www.surechurch.com. The following sermon was preached on December 5th, 2021, on the basis of Luke chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Grace, mercy, and peace are all yours because you are prepared. You are prepared for Jesus to come back again. Amen. Uh, Preparation is a part of all of our lives, and it becomes a part of our life uh, pretty early in life. From the the time you're, you're even a little kid, you have to start preparing for things, whether it's mom getting you dressed to to go to to school or to go to daycare, or sometimes you even get to do it yourself for the first time. You get to put on your your own clothes and prepare yourself to go go out into the world. Uh, When you become a student, you learn that you have to prepare things, that when your teacher gives you an assignment, that it takes some preparation to put that assignment together and to bring it ready and completed and and hand it in when the teacher assigns quizzes and, and tests. Uh, those are things that are, are best prepared for if you want to do well on them. And, and preparation doesn't stop as you get older either. Uh, you know that if you want to have a meal for, for dinner or for lunch or for breakfast, you, you have to prepare it or someone has to prepare it. You know that if you want to do something big, like if you want to go run a marathon, you kind of got to prepare. You, you got to train. You, you can't just do that without training. Most of us can't <laughs> anyways. Things take preparation. Because we're, we're around Christmas time, we can use this example too. Many of you know that you have family coming for Christmas to visit. And, and so you have to prepare. You have to clean. You have to cook. All those things that go into preparation. It's a normal part of, of life. And preparation is really nothing Nothing more than moving from a state of unpreparedness to a state of preparedness, which is exactly what we're talking about this morning. But we're not talking about external things like preparing food, like getting ourselves ready to to go out. We're talking about internal things. We're talking about preparing our hearts and and heart preparation. So the, the, the gospel that we're looking at today comes from Luke if you want to follow, it along, follow along, I'm not going to reread the whole thing, but it's on page 10 of your worship folder if you want to keep it in front of you there. Luke is, is our gospel writer. He's one of four gospel writers. And if you know a little bit about Luke, Luke is a very detailed man. He is a, a physician. He is a very intelligent man. His, his Greek that he wrote his, his book in is very complex and difficult compared to that of, of John the fisherman. Um, and, and Luke shows us at the very beginning of this gospel uh, how detail-oriented he is by naming all of the different people that, that were ruling in that time period. And so he starts off by saying that this all t- takes place in the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar, and Tiberius Caesar was the Roman emperor at that time. Now, what we know about Tiberius Caesar is that he began his reign in, around 14 AD, so that puts this right around 29 AD. And then he goes on, Luke goes on to name all of the relevant 
uh, leaders in that area at the time. So we hear names that we, we recognize, names like Pontius Pilate, who was the governor, who would be the one who would preside over Jesus' trial and eventually uh, condemn him to be crucified. We hear about Herod, who will come into play later. He will eventually have John the Baptist beheaded. We hear about Herod's brother named Philip and a guy named Lysanias, who this is the only time he's referenced in the entire Bible. And then we hear about the two high priests, Annas and Caiaphas, who again will come into play later in Jesus' life when he faces trial in front of the Jewish courts. These would be the high priests that would take him and recommend execution to to the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. So Luke lays out all of this history as a detailed man. He sets this in the context of history so that you know that this truly happened, first of all. And so you know that this is about when this happened. It's when all of these people were ruling at that time. But he, he lays out all of this history for a purpose. He wants to tell us about a man named John. But this isn't the first time he's mentioned John. He talked about John in Luke chapter 1. This is John, the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth, who, who had somewhat of a miraculous birth of his own. Zechariah and Elizabeth were old in age. Elizabeth was thought to be barren, that she couldn't have children, and yet the Lord blessed them with a child, blessed them with, with John, who is called often John the Baptist. And John the Baptist would be a messenger of God. So you saw right away in verse 2 here, it says, The word of God came to John. John was in the wilderness. So he's in the desert. He is east of Jerusalem, east of Jericho, east of Bethlehem. He is near the Jordan River and the Dead Sea over there. And he is preaching. This is what John does. He is preaching. He also lives kind of an interesting lifestyle. He's wearing goat hair as his clothing. He eats locusts and wild honey, and he preaches to the people, but he's not preaching his own fascinations or idle notions. From verse 2, you hear he is preaching the Word of God. It was the Word of God that came to John, and in turn, that's what he preached. The message that John was preaching was one of preparation. That was John's purpose. John came to prepare people's hearts for the coming of Jesus. Jesus had already come. He was already born. This is 29 AD. Jesus is almost 30 years old by this point. But Jesus' ministry is about to begin, and John is getting people's hearts ready by preparing, by preaching to them. So, what was John dealing with here? Who were the people that John was preaching to? What were some of the things that he needed to address? What was the state of their hearts at that time. Well, in order to talk about that a little bit, because we do have some insight on the people that John was preaching to, we're going to talk about three specific groups. We're going to talk about the Pharisees, we're going to talk about the Sadducees, and we're going to talk about the Gentiles. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were leaders at the time, and they had a following around them too. So we'll talk about the leaders, and you can You can assume that their followers were were a lot like them in in that way. So we'll start with the the Pharisees. The Pharisees were a Jewish religious group, um, and they they were probably the the people that had middle-class, lower-class people following them because they themselves kind of existed in the middle class. Their, Their basis for what they believed was 
the Old Testament, but they had a, a specific focus on the first five books of the Old Testament, the books of, of Moses there. And, and they had an even more specific focus on the laws that were in the, contained in those five books. If you're thinking of the Pharisees, how you can remember them is you can think of people who really love the law. They love the law a lot. So they focused on the law in those books, but they even held to more laws. They, they held to these, these books called the, the Traditions of the Elders, which was 613 extra laws on top of the ones that were contained in the Old Testament. Although the, the Pharisees would like to think that they kept that law pretty well, although the, the Pharisees like to think that they were maybe almost perfect, we do learn a little bit about the Pharisees at this time. They, they had heart problems, things that needed to be prepared for the coming of, of Jesus. Uh, for one thing, because they loved the law so much, the Pharisees tended to be a little legalistic and unforgiving. The Pharisees also had a strong sense of Jewish nationalism. So they, they loved their, their Jewish heritage, which in and of itself was not a, not a bad thing, but it led them to, to treat people of other ethnicities kind of poor, poorly. They were a little racist. But perhaps the most defining thing of the Pharisees that we see throughout the entire New Testament is this sense of self-righteousness, this sense that I am right with God and I am better than those sinners over there. So that is group number one. That's group number one that John is preaching to. These Pharisees are in the audience of John's when John is preaching. Here's group number two, the Sadducees. The Sadducees were a lot like the Pharisees in, in some ways. They were another Jewish religious group, although we might put religious in, in quotes there. They were far more secular than the, than the Pharisees were. The Sadducees were the upper class. They were, they were the ones who had the upper class followers. They themselves had, had quite a bit of money and, and status in that time. And they were the ones who ran the business aspect of the temple. They made sure, they made sure everything ran smoothly and they handled the money in the, in the temple. The Sadducees also had certain things that infected their hearts too. Certain things in their hearts that needed preparation for the coming of Jesus. Because they were the ones that, that handled the money, because they, they, they loved their status as the upper class, they, they kind of tended to be materialistic. They, they tended to be greedy. And some of those things that, that started in the heart led to other things like they would steal occasionally, um, and they were, known, they were known to cheat people out of money. That, that was the, the Sadducees. Uh, on top of that, the Sadducees did not believe in anything supernatural. Uh, so they, they didn't believe in miracles. They, they didn't believe in the, the resurrection of the dead. They didn't believe in angels. That's what I meant when I said they were far more secular. That, that's group number two that John is preaching to. Group number three was the Gentiles. Now, the Gentiles were a, a big group. For those of you who know this, the, a Gentile is simply anybody who is not a Jewish person. So that, that includes a broad range of people. But at this point, in this place, at that time, that, that mostly involved people who were, had some connection to the Roman government, had some connection to the Roman nationality, or they were transplants from different parts of the the Roman Empire. 
And although they, they were a broad range of people, um, they, they had certain sins that kind of characterized them as well. Uh, and so one of the, the things that characterized the Gentile at that time is they were kind of loose on their view of, of marriage. They, they, they didn't honor marriage. They, they divorced very quickly. They were promiscuous. They, they, um, they, were, they were very quick uh, to jump to infidelity, um, and they were immoral in many ways. Um, on top of that, they, like the Sadducees, were also materialistic and given to uh, greed. They, they were consumed by, by money and, and everything that revolved around money. But perhaps the most defining thing for especially a Roman person at this time is they were pleasure seekers. They, they governed their entire life by what made them the happiest. That's group number three. So these are obviously wide-ranging generalities, right? We're not speaking about specific people. We're talking about wide-ranging generalities of of people that John is preaching to. But but if you you were to look at at some of these things and and ask yourself the question, are these people ready for Jesus coming? You'd probably be inclined to say no. John had some work to do. How about today? What do you think? If Jesus were to come back today, is our world ready for Jesus to come back? Are we prepared? The thing is, is when I read through those, or when I went through those three groups, and when I went through some of the, the sins that were common to those groups at that time, you see sins that are still common today. Still sins that, that exist in, in our world and are, and are even prevalent in our world. So if Jesus were to come back today, would, would our world be ready? Uh, maybe not. How about you? How about me? Are, are we ready for Jesus to come back? Uh, maybe as, as that list of sins was, was rehearsed, <laughs> you saw some of those in there that you're guilty of or that you have been guilty of. Maybe not in action, right? but maybe in, in your thoughts. But before we get too far in this discussion, we've got to ask ourselves a question first. What does it actually mean to be truly prepared? Because here's what John wasn't asking of the people when he, when he asked them to, to turn back to God and to acknowledge their sin. He wasn't saying, from this moment on, you cannot sin. That would be great, right? It would be great if we could say, I'm just going to stop sinning. I'm, I'm done. I'm not going to do it anymore. Uh, it would be great if we could do that, but, but that's impossible. It's, it's unrealistic. And so John is not asking the people to be perfect. John is also not asking for some sort of external preparation. He doesn't want people to show, them, show him that they really, really feel sorry, that they, they got to walk up with their head down or, or they got to they gotta make sure that they, they really um, starve themselves just to prove that they're really sorry for the things that they have done. That's, that's not what John is asking for here. John's simple words to the people are, repent. And he says it very specifically in Matthew's gospel. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And so repentance is something that happens in the heart. 
And repentance it typically comes in two different, with two different components. The first being sorrow over sin, and the second being trust in the Savior. So, in order to repent, the people needed to acknowledge the presence of sin in their own life and to acknowledge that they were guilty of sinning against God. They needed to be able to say that, that the presence of sin in their own life was not okay and that they were worthy of punishment because of those sins. But that's a pretty hard thing. <laughs> that is a pretty hard thing to admit and acknowledge for any of us because by nature, no one ever wants to admit fault for something. By nature, none of us ever want to, to put a mark or, or call into question our innocence in any way. We always want to maintain the, at least the illusion of, of innocence. By nature, we really don't think the things we do are that bad, that destructive, that sinful, or, or that worthy of punishment. And so if John is saying that, that to be prepared, to have a prepared heart, is to have a repentant heart, then the exact opposite of that would be an unwillingness to admit sin or acknowledge sin. This is what an unprepared heart looks like. An unprepared heart refuses to take responsibility for your thoughts or for your words or for your actions, and that heart is unprepared because it feels no need for forgiveness and it feels no need for your Savior. But, even though that is our heart, that's your heart, that's my heart, what we are by nature, God he came to save. He takes a heart that was unprepared and he is the one that makes that heart prepared. You see, when we talk about repentance, repentance isn't something that you and I do. It's not our work, but it is God working in us. God is the one who works in our heart a heart of repentance and he does it through his word. Let's go back to verse 2 of Luke again. Uh, remember whose word it was that came to John. It said the word of God came to John, and John was the one who preached it. Through this word, he led people to repentance, and through this word, he got people ready for the Savior to come. And this, this, this preaching of God's word, this, this leading people to repentance, this preparing people's hearts for Jesus, this was such important work that God even talked about it a long, long time ago. 700 years before Jesus came, 700 years before John came, this was prophesied about in Isaiah. John's work, his preaching, the message he would come to bring, was prophesied about in Isaiah, which was included in the Gospel of Luke. It said that John, or, or this forerunner who was John, would come and he would make level ground. He would bring the valleys up. He would lower the mountains. He would make the crooked paths straight and he would make the rough places smooth. And that work of leveling was leading people to repentance. Repentance from their pride, bringing the mountains low. Repentance from their, their false beliefs, making the crooked paths straight. Repentance from their, their rough, sinful lifestyles, making those rough places smooth. John came to do this very important work. 
And this wasn't just the work that John came to do at that time. God continues to, to work repentance in yours and my heart today. He continues to, to bring sorrow over sin and open up trust to him. That's God's work today. Remember at the beginning we said preparation is moving from a state of unpreparedness to a state of preparedness, right? Can I add something to that definition? Preparation is, is readying yourself for something or someone that you know is coming. So for the example of getting ready for Christmas, you know that you have relatives coming, or at least I hope, I hope you know that you have relatives coming. It's not going to be a surprise to you when they show up. You know they're coming, and so you know that you have to prepare things for them because you know they're coming on December 23rd or something like that. Uh, you know that you're going to have to eat dinner, and so you're going to have to prepare for it. You get the idea. Preparation involves knowing someone or something is coming. That's what John was doing. John knew that Jesus was coming, that he had already come, and that his ministry would come, would be coming soon. So all of John's work was done with the knowledge that Jesus is coming. And so you could say that all of John's work was done in view of Jesus, including his urging people to repent. And so John said harsh things to people. He called people brood of vipers, whitewashed walls. He called them all those things. This was harsh preaching, but it was all for the purpose of preparing hearts. It was all for the purpose of showing them their Savior. It was all done in view of Jesus. And that's exactly how that prophecy from Isaiah concluded. Look at verse 6. All of John's leveling that he came to do was so that all people would see God's salvation. You see, repentance is always a two-part deal. The first part always being sorrow over sin. The second part always being trust in Jesus as our Savior. And that second part is just as important as that first part. When you acknowledge your sinfulness, when you acknowledge the ways that you've failed God, he doesn't want you to, to stay in sorrow. He wants you to acknowledge your sinfulness in view of Jesus, in view of the gospel, knowing that no matter what it is that you've thought or said or done, no matter how bad you think it is, that when it's done in view of Jesus, when it's done in view of the gospel, you know that you're forgiven, you know that God still loves you, and you know that heaven is still yours. Living a life of repentance is acknowledging sin, but it's living a life in view of the gospel. So we've pretty much talked about everything in these six verses. We've gotten a lot out of this, except for one thing. We left one thing out. I want to bring you back to verse... Because there's one thing left to talk about. Uh, it, it said John was preaching about repentance, but, but it wasn't just repentance, right? What did, it, what did it say? John was preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So, people would come to John in the wilderness, 
And they would come with all of the sins that had infected their hearts as Pharisees or Sadducees or or Gentiles or, or anybody else. They would come as sinners, but they would receive a baptism of repentance for what? For the forgiveness of sins. They would come sinners and leave as washed, forgiven saints of of God because of what Jesus had done for them. Not much has changed, right? We saw that very thing this morning. As Emma came in today, she was carried in today with the sin that she was born into, but she will be carried out of here today washed, forgiven, given faith, given the Holy Spirit. She'll she'll be carried out of here today as a child of God, and you know what that means for her? That means her life is not going to be defined by the sins that she'll commit in this life, but she will be known as a child of God. She will be, be known as one who will inherit heaven one day. She'll be God's own daughter. And that's what all of you are as well. You have been made that by your baptism. You have been made that through your, your faith. So you get to walk out of here today without a checklist. You don't have a checklist of things you need to do to prepare for Jesus coming because by God's grace and through Jesus alone, you are prepared for his coming.